Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. They need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Garden Church Podcast. This is a unique series. I have some friends coming in and they're bringing what they're carrying on their heart. They're bringing passion sermons. And I'm so excited for you to listen to this series. For more information about Garden Church and how to follow the way of Jesus, how to live life to its fullest, empowered by the Holy Spirit, go to garden.church, get plugged in. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Won't you please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read from verse 21. If you can't find the gospel of Matthew, give up. Um, I'm just joking. It's the first gospel in the New Testament. It's going to be easy to find, I promise. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. Have you ever been in that context? I know what that feels like. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, 
help me. And Eon said, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat, out, eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I um, love this particular text uh, because it seems so uncharacteristic of the person of Jesus that we know so well. It seems completely out of place. Look, the disciples I get, they are fully fulfilling the roles of their character at this point. They're slightly racist, uh, definitely have some issues with... um, misogyny and they have this ability to overlook women. Um, It's definitely, they're playing up to the fullness of their character. But Jesus in this context doesn't really make so much sense to me. And I want to unpack this because I believe we are living in a season where God is looking for a people of great faith. Like I want to say this very clearly and I don't want to be one, like I'm I'm a happy prophet. Like I, I believe Jesus is real happy. I believe God is happy. He's not grumpy. He's not waiting to smite you. He's not waiting to take you out for your wrongdoing. If he was, we'd all be blitzed by now. (laughs) So I'm really grateful for Jesus. Um, I actually have a hopeful disposition. I believe it's getting better, not worse. I believe that we will see the kingdom of God come in an increased measure, and we'll see the glory of God cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. I believe that the church is going to stand strong, full of glory, full of beauty, fully reflecting her saviour and bridegroom-to-be. Amen, Julian, good point. Um, (laughs) I'll say amen to my own points. I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic tradition, so I like it when people talk back to me, all right? So you're allowed to say nice things, just don't heckle me. But I do believe that in this season, particularly in the church in the West, we are in a season where we need people of great faith who dare to believe God that what he says he will do, he will do. And people who will stand strong in the midst of adversity. And I love this particular text, um, like I said, because actually what Jesus is doing here is something so beautiful and so magnificent that he's actually helping people discover what it could be like to have growing faith in this particular text. And um, as we look at this text, you'll know that firstly, everything that scripture writers write, they write for a reason. And so when we see that this is the city of Tyre and Sidon, it's in the Middle East, it's um, outside of, as it were, Jerusalem, outside of the holy place. In fact, this is a city that has been known to be under judgment. This is a city that has been known to be an evil city. Uh, Back in Genesis, you'll see that God brings incredible judgment and burns the city to the ground. This is also a city where the prophet Elijah goes and raises uh, the woman's son from the dead back to life. I mean, it's just incredible. This is the city that um, Rahab was founding, um, the city that helped get the people of God into the places that they needed to be. Yet it was a despised city. These were Canaanites who were outside of the promises of God. They did not have access to the blessings of the people of covenant. And so this woman shows up and looks at Jesus, and I love this, because this woman is about to go on a journey to discover how faith-filled she is, and the disciples are about to go on a journey to show them how religious they are. 
I know where I will be in the story and it's not with the woman. You see, I've grown up in church. I've done enough religious things. I've got enough. We, I grew up in a new church movement, which back in South Africa meant it wasn't the kind of traditional stained glass church. We were being real pioneering. We met in each other's homes. Um, and I was part of that kind of church and then into Pentecostal and Word of Faith movement. Word of Faith movement is a movement that believes if you just believe God hard enough, you'll get your breakthrough. And so I grew up in church. I've got enough tradition to become religious now. I will move on quickly. <laughs> but the thing that I love about this woman is that right in the midst of a nation that is judged, right in the midst, in a context that is without the covenant promises of God, there's a woman who recognizes something on Jesus and he calls it faith. And she says, have mercy on me, son of David. Right there, she got Jesus' attention. Because what she did was appeal to the messianic promise that is on his life. She was saying, you are like that King David, who was a king of Israel in its height, who was a king, but who was also a shepherd who cared for its people. And so right there, there's something of faith that springs up in this woman and she recognizes that this one carries something of a shepherding kindness that I need to appeal to. Right there, she would have been remembering and listening to the stories of people that have got healed. She would have heard the rumors that have spread like wildfire about this Messiah, this one called Jesus, who's healing the sick, who's raising the dead, who's doing all these incredible things. And she comes to him saying, have mercy on me, O shepherd of Israel. Have mercy on me, O kind king, because I'm in turmoil. I need a breakthrough. And she presumes on his goodness. I want to tell you that very often in churches, we place the emphasis of faith on how hard we believe. And so if I can just pop a blood vessel in my believing, I just need to believe real hard, I will speak positive mantras and manifest my future. And if I can just do it hard enough, something will happen. Problem is, believing in your believing does not produce miracles. Believing in Jesus, being convinced of his good character, being convinced that who he is and who he said he is, is a part of my life now. She presumes on the goodness and the character of Jesus. This is in a context that is without God. There is no dark place. There is no impossibility that God cannot break into and that you cannot have faith in. You see, people told us we're coming up to three years of, of church in Boston. And um, it's so exciting. And we uh, were crazy enough to believe that God was calling us to leave sunny South Africa. Jesus, are you sure about that? No, anyway, leave sunny South Africa with a beautiful home, paid off, amazing, wonderful pool, just everything that I love about South Africa, to come to cold Boston in the middle of COVID, y'all, when people were crazy. It was like, I mean, I was like, Jesus, what have we done? 
We just moved, the day after we moved, George Floyd protests were kicking off all over Boston. I mean, it was just crazy. I was like, take me home, Jesus. People phoned us up and said, what you are doing is absolutely crazy. You're planting in one of the hardest cities, one of the most um, ungodly cities. They're so progressive. They're so liberal. You won't be able to plant. Church plants failing, busting. It's so dark. Why on earth are you going there? Exactly. That's why we're going there. Because if the gospel cannot work in the darkest place, it's not going to work anyway. Dear friends, I, I want you to understand this is a context the entire inside and it is, it is hopeless. But there's a woman who has faith. I want to suggest to you that no matter what you're facing, when you understand who you are believing in, it will produce Faith in your heart, because faith is not connected to your ability to believe. Faith is connected to an unfolding revelation of Jesus. When you see him as he is, when you understand that he's good, when you understand that what he purchased for us on the cross is available to us and through us, because who Jesus is to you is always who you will be through you. I'm so glad that Jesus wants to do some amazing things with us. You see, very often when we talk about faith, particularly in evangelical church context, we talk about faith in a way that reduces faith to our saving moment. So we say, oh, I'm a person of faith because I believe in Jesus. We say, oh, I've got faith because I'm Christian. But actually in the Bible, faith is not static. Faith is not event-based. Faith is meant to be something that is ongoing and growing. And so Jesus, in one of his parables, says to his disciples, like, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be picked up and thrown into the sea. Now, I've not seen mustard seed faith cast any mountain into the sea yet. We put the emphasis on the size of the faith, but what Jesus is trying to invite us into is the understanding that the mustard seed... It's the smallest seed, but when it begins to grow and take root, it begins to grow as one of the trees that is the biggest tree. In other words, faith has got nothing to do with your size of how much you believe, as it were, but in the ongoing revelation of Jesus so that it begins to grow and grow and grow. It is growing faith that casts mountains into seas. And I wonder if we forfeit the miraculous, if we forfeit breakthroughs of power because we have put the emphasis on our ability to believe rather than our ongoing revelation of the goodness of Jesus. This woman, outside of the covenant promises of God, places a demand upon Jesus simply because she sees that he's good. What are you placing a demand on today? Faith requires us to be convinced of who Jesus is so that we live in the ongoing revelation of his goodness. We need to be a people of presumption when it comes to his goodness. (laughs) He's real good, better than you think or can ever imagine. He's not holding out on you. Amen, Julian, good point. 
And so the first thing we see is this presumption on the goodness of God. She's got no access to um, the covenant promises of God. And as she presumes on his goodness, what happens in that moment is quite remarkable. Because what Jesus does is he uses this like any good rabbi as an opportunity to shape the hearts and affections of his disciples and to bring out the gold that is in this woman. And what he does is he utterly ignores her. <laughs> and the reason he does this is because he's employing a, 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 a tactic that rabbis would do in that they would produce resistance against an idea or a thought to see if the disciple would come back with a better idea or a better thought. I, I want to tell you sometimes you're hearing silence from God. It's not because he's abandoning you. It's not because he's forgotten you, but because he's inviting you to ask for a little bit more. A few years, uh, last year, just before we actually came out, my wife preached here last year. We came out on vacation, much like we've done this year. And um, we had just moved into our home, miracle home. Like anyone who lives in Boston knows you absolutely need a miracle, almost as impossible as a resurrection from the dead in order to buy property in Boston. <laughs> it's so jolly expensive. And I remember getting this amazing miracle. We got our miracle house moved in, and four or five days later, because of a cabinet maker's error, the whole first and basement floor flooded. We lost everything, and I'm talking about everything because we had brought everything, unpacked most of it, put it downstairs, and all of the stuff that we've traveled from nation to nation to nation, from South Africa to England to America, all got ruined. How many of you know that's a little bit of resistance right there? But I am told, and I am only told this, that when you exercise, because clearly you can see I don't do enough, <laughs> that resistance creates muscle, creates a little bit of muscle memory. So when you face certain circumstances, you've got the muscle memory to know how to react. Sometimes circumstances come your way, not as an opportunity to deconstruct your faith, not as an opportunity to derail your faith, but to create some muscle memory. Problem is we live in an emotional, fragile context that wants an answer immediately when sometimes what God wants to do is take you through a season of process. You see, in the West, the testing of our faith is connected to whether we pass or fail. But in a Middle Eastern context and in an African context, in fact, I would dare say in most developing world context, the testings that people go through is not to see what they know or whether they pass or fail, but to see what is in them. And so Jesus is helping his disciples by revealing what's in them and what comes out of them is racism, sexism, and a presumption that they know God's opinion before they've even asked him. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Listen, the thing about these two responses that I see, the first is the moral police disciples who are like, she's outside of the promises of God, therefore how dare she even ask? And then there's this woman who, despite the silence, leans in in a grace expectation from Jesus. She's figuring, look, 
I don't have any pedigree to ask for anything. I'm a woman. I shouldn't be talking to a man. I'm not Jewish. I definitely shouldn't be talking to this Jewish man. I have got nothing that sets me up for success, so I might as well ask him anyway. I want to suggest to you, dear friends, brothers and sisters, that if you want to grow in faith, it is not more knowledge that will help you, but a greater experience of grace. When you realize you've got nothing in and of yourself that qualifies you to do anything for him, that you are his grace choice, not his best choice. Shika bazooka, right? And that anything I get from him, I get by way of his grace and kindness. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is what creates faith that is so exciting. Because listen, when I got to face an impossibility like we had to last year, and I'm thinking, what are we going to do? We moved in, now we've got to move out. How are we going to do this? The next time I face something, and I remember how God provided in the last season, I've got some muscle memory. I got some muscle because I'm convinced of his goodness. It means that no matter what I'm facing in this moment, I've got enough history from, I know I don't look at 45 years. And of those 45 years, I've been with God for 43. I've got muscle memory. Many of us bypass the testings of God because we want instant gratification rather than realizing he's working something in you. Because God's testing of you is not to see whether you pass or fail. If it was that, you'd fail every time. His testing of you is to show you what's in you. He will happily offend your mind to reveal what's in your heart. And that's what Jesus is doing with the disciples. They just weren't picking it up very clearly. I love how how the disciples come to Jesus and say, she is harassing us. She didn't talk to them. She was talking to Jesus. (laughs) Not once does she go to them, but I love the convenience of following Jesus until it's not convenient. Mm -hmm. I went there. We live in a comfort-driven society that says as long as my convenience is being met, I'm happy with Jesus. Don't, Jesus, she's harassing us. This is too inconvenient. I find it fascinating that the reason for their inconvenience is a religious superiority. Help me, Jesus. We live in a context where the church has set itself up as the moral police of society so that in the midst of people's pain, we no longer recognise the absolute desperation of their need. And we'd rather sit in the comfort of our religion than meet the needs of the broken. And Jesus offends her mind and their mind by the way he responds. I want to suggest to you, dear brothers and sisters, the Lord wants to break the offense of respectability. Mm. The Western church has become so respectable. And dare I add, predictable. (laughs) It's like a McDonald's drive-thru. You know what you're going to get every time you go through it. 
dear friends, I know this is hard-hitting. I'm from South Africa. We say it like it is. Please forgive me. It's a cultural nuance that I need help on. But we have become so respectable that we are not living in the place of faith any longer because our religious predictability, our re listen, one of the things that I am so convinced about is you can be entirely right on your morality and entirely wrong on who Jesus is. These disciples were really good at their religious duty. They knew what was to be expected in this context. Women, don't touch, don't talk. Woman who's not part of Israel, don't even consider. Woman who is from one of the worst cities, come under the judgment of God, must be a dog. And Jesus is walking through this whole conversation not to rebuke the woman, but to reveal to the disciples their own hypocrisy and brokenness and religious superiority. I want to say again, I know where I would be in this story, and it wouldn't be on the side of the woman. I'd be the religious hypocrite, going, don't you dare cross my right. Don't you dare cross my expectation of how God should work, because I already know. It's going to get happy, I promise. Don't worry. <laughs> but the thing that he's teaching and that we learn from this woman is that in the midst of offense and resistance, in the midst of pushback, she is willing to be humiliated because she can see the breakthrough that's coming her way. Theologians talk about this in the life of Jesus, that who being the very nature of God did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a servant, a servant even to the point of death. Theologians call that the humiliation of Jesus. It's a phrase that's used to describe how Jesus stepped out of heaven, fully God, fully man, but chose not to access his divinity while on earth in order to model for us what it could look like to be fully human, in order for him to face all of the same things that we face, yet without sin. That is called uh, the mystery of incarnation, great theological word, and it's, it's the humiliation of Jesus. And when you study Scripture, you'll notice that anyone who's anyone who's been used by God to do anything significant in Scripture went through a season of humiliation because God will often humiliate his choice servants. Not because he's trying to bring shame on them, not because he's trying to test them, but because in the context of our weakness, faith is perfected. She's not afraid to be called a dog and then still ask for help. And in doing so, Jesus reveals something very profound. He says to everyone, this woman has great faith. It's this kind of faith that makes you lose respectability. It's this kind of faith that looks like humiliation. It's this kind of faith that looks like it does not make sense. Oh my gosh, somebody would have Instagrammed this story long ago. 
I am offended. You just called me a dog. I want to tell you, offense is never given, it's always taken. Go ahead and Instagram that, that was good. And she chooses to overlook an offense, even though it doesn't make sense, because she can see a breakthrough coming her way. I want to suggest to you that sometimes our faith looks too much like man-made sense. Listen, Isaiah walked around naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a wonder. Anybody want signs and wonders back in the church? (laughs) Ezekiel had to lay on his left side for 390 days. Oh, this one. I mean, this will definitely make it up to all of the latest Christian tabloids. Pastor marries prostitute. Go Hosea. If your faith makes sense to your neighbor, it's not faith. When you read Matthew and the Beatitudes, you realize that the way of the kingdom is entirely different to the way of the world and does not make sense. And if you want to live in growing faith, it cannot be placed upon the predictability of worldly systems. It's got to be fully convinced of the goodness of Jesus and following him even when it's inconvenient. That's a good word, Julian. You're almost going to get a double offering on this preach. I joke. But dear friends, nothing make sense on paper for the life that Katya and I live. The way we give our money, the way we serve, the place that we're in, it does not make sense. I'm not talking about kicking your brains at the door. I am saying that somewhere along the line, your expression of faith has to move beyond the predictability and expectation of worldly comfort into a place of the impossible. Because faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. If it's possible, you don't need faith. (sighs) Jesus, help me. The problem is we are too easily offended with God because we're still not actually convinced that he's real good. I want to suggest to you, if you're offended with God, the Bible says blessed That word blessed there is ecstatically happy is the one who is not offended by Jesus. The key to living a life of faith is to living without any offense. Listen, I have got pain in my body as I'm preaching, pain that I've been believing God for healing for over 40 years. I have prayed for many people with back problems and they get healed instantly. I've seen shortened legs grow out. I've seen at least two people get out of wheelchairs. I have seen the power of God touch people in the most incredible ways. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen one person raised from the dead. I know God can do it, but I'm still not healed. I get to choose. Do I want to live in offense? Or do I want to live ecstatically happy knowing that he is good and sooner or later... 
the goodness of his kingdom will overwhelm my body. Resistance. Resistance. The last thing I want to say about this dear woman, Jesus responds to her even after he calls her a little dog, which is a little phrase that Jewish people would have used like a little puppy. You're just a little puppy. Why should I give you anything? And he's actually doing this intentionally. He could have said you're a dog, which would have been a whole lot more offensive. But he's giving her a little bit of a sparring moment, a little bit of let's see what she comes back with this, because she already knows what's in her heart. And she says, but even the little puppies get the straps from their master's table. And in that moment, he says, great is your faith. And you know what happens? God heals her daughter. But do you know what I find fascinating about this whole text? It's not once does she ask for healing for her daughter. She has come to Jesus for the turmoil of her own heart. Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, help me. I've got two little kids, Ezekiel, who's seven, and Evangeline, who is six years old. They are incredible. A mix of a South African and a Middle Eastern woman has produced the loudest children that I think I have ever heard. I used to be a full extrovert. Now I'm like, please, can I be an introvert? I'll join that group of people. And I, I know something of, like, I will do anything for my kids, right? Like, when, when they're in pain, I feel it. But for a mom, I, I see this consistently, like, the difference between myself and Katya. Katya feels it, y'all. Like, properly feels it. Like, if anything's going wrong, I'm like, he'll get over it. It's just a little scrape and a bruise. Don't worry. She's like, no. We need to make sure he's okay. She feels the pain in a very different way. This woman has been in turmoil because of her daughter who's been demonized. And she's coming to Jesus just saying, please help me. She just wants a break. She wants some freedom from the turmoil that she's been living in for so long. She's just like, please help me. And Jesus heals her daughter, and no doubt in doing so, he's healing her of her turmoil. But here's the thing I want to say. If it matters to you, it matters to God. She wasn't there for healing for her daughter. That's not what the text says. She was there just to get some relief. And it would be easy to take a little moral high ground going, oh, but she should have gone for a daughter. No, she was just like, I need a break. I get that. I've just had 24 hours with the kids alone. I need a break. (laughs) If it matters to you, it matters to God. No matter how big or small. No matter how significant on your scale of significance, if it matters to you, it matters to God. And there's some of you, you're facing some impossible difficulties right now. You're facing some things, you're going, I need faith for this. I just need to confess the word more. I just need to stand stronger. No, no. You need a greater revelation of his goodness, kindness, and grace. And you need to allow the offense of unanswered prayer, the offense of the breakthrough that didn't come when you wanted it, 
to go by the wayside because either he is good or he is not. But you don't have an option to twist his character. Faith doesn't make sense. But I tell you what, there's no other life I want to live. Because the more I get to know of him, the more I see the impossible happen. And you might be facing some difficult things right now. Some moments where you're going, I just don't know how God's going to do this. Some of you might be offended with God because you've not got the breakthrough you wanted. Others of you are just starting out. You're like, I just want whatever he's got for me. I know I don't deserve it, so please let him meet with me. I want to encourage you, today's a good day to believe him for breakthroughs. I felt like this church is coming to a season of incredible favor, and I used the word convergence in the first service, that God is bringing a convergence of people and streams and movements and context that is going to set you up for original impact. And this next season is going to require faith from you as a community, that you believe God for the impossible. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast served you. I hope that this sermon inspired you and encouraged you to follow the way of Jesus. Garden Church, we exist as a local church and we would love to resource you wherever you are. So if you're not part of our local community plugged into a house church, that's fine. We'd love for you to follow along on the journey. For more information on following the way of Jesus, being a disciple today, living naturally supernatural lifestyle, go to garden.church. Continue to listen along. God bless you. Well